And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday season with you and yours. The Bills nearly... Uh, well, they definitely played with fire, but they nearly lost a game that many believe that they should have won handily, but they are winners regardless, defeating the LA Chargers by a score of 24 to 22, needing a last second field goal to get the job done. But ultimately, the Bills have won their third straight game. They are now nine and six on the season, and they have everything ahead of them from a playoff perspective and can even clinch. Uh, this clinch a playoff spot by the end of this coming week, thanks to some of the help that they got around uh, around the league over week 16. Um, I know we'll get some questions going here in just a moment. And if you have any in this live room episode, seeing as how we did not do a post-game episode around the holidays, and I appreciate your, all, all your patience for, for waiting for this post-game episode, but uh, we Decided to do a little bit of a live room here, uh, and we'll still have the pregame Patriots live room on uh, Friday of this week. But uh, but wanted to get some of your questions going here because I figure there's a lot more playoff scenarios that that we're kind of thinking about, um, and certainly some injuries that could help impact the Bills before any information before the Bills start getting to practice on uh, on Wednesday. So by all means, if you have any Bills questions, layer them in here in right into the Athletic app chat, and uh, I'll get to as many as I can before the end of the episode. Uh, so uh, in terms of the playoffs, the Bills got a lot of help this week, including helping themselves, barely, but they helped themselves all the same. They defeated the Chargers by a score of 24 to 22. They are now 9 and 6 and saw losses by the Jaguars, the Colts, the Texans, and the fact that two of those teams lost, or even one of those teams lost, that means the Bills would remain in the uh, the playoff picture after Week 16. Like, all, all of those teams could have won, and the Bills still would have controlled their own destiny because the Colts and the Texans play each other in Week 18. But the fact that all of them lost just means the Bills are now in the playoff picture anytime you see the graphic on the screen. And the Bills still control their, their playoff destiny. Um, they went out. They're in. It's really simple with that. They beat the Patriots. They beat the Dolphins. The Bills are in. They can clinch this week. Thanks to some losses by some other teams um, in this past game. So they can clinch in week 17 with a win over the Patriots. And then also a loss by the Bengals to the Chiefs, which would put the Bengals at 8-8, eight and eight, meaning they could not catch the Bills because the Bills would be 10-6 and six at that point. And also uh, if the Steelers lose to the Seahawks, 
So that would also put the Steelers at eight and eight. And uh, they would be unable to catch the Bills from uh, from that perspective. And I, I believe, let me just double check this. Yeah, the Steelers, um, they have a better conference record than the Bills. So uh, that necessarily won't necessarily hold as long as the Bills control, uh, continue their, uh, their control over things and, and win. But... Um, you know, that's a potential tiebreak scenario, but the cleanest way for the Bills to clinch is a win. Pittsburgh loses to Seattle. Cincinnati loses to uh, to Kansas City. And then the Indianapolis-Houston thing still comes into play because both of those teams are now 8-7, and seven, which means only one of them could maximum get to 10-7 and seven by the end of the season. And that effectively means that the Bills would be in regardless if they win or lose in Miami. So those three things, Buffalo win, Cincinnati lost to Kansas City, Pittsburgh lost to Seattle, Bills are in uh, 100%. Um, at least that's the way it showed on the New York Times playoff sheet. But but yeah, that's that's the way it's looking. All right, let's get to some questions because I'm sure there's, oh yeah, we've already got a, a ton after I meandered around the playoff scenarios for a bit. Um, so our first question will go to John T who writes in, would you expect Daquan Jones back this week, or will they wait until the last game of the season? I think there is a legit possibility that he comes back this week, and there are a couple of signs that, or maybe one logic point and one sign that uh, certainly points to him potentially being ready to go this week. The sign was that the Bills did not fill the active roster spot vacated by Jordan Phillips when they put him on injured reserve. So that means they have one on the ready. And this is somewhat complicated by by the uh in the sense that the Bills have a have the window for Kyir Elam about to shut tomorrow. His 21 days will be up, but they really don't have another long-term injury as of right now to utilize for IR to get Elam up both Elam and Jones. And on top of that, I don't really know that they want to cut anyone else from the 52 on their roster because you know they like having the having the fifth defensive tackle for whenever Jones comes back up. They like having all of those defensive ends on their roster and Kingsley Jonathan plays a pretty uh marquee special teams role when he's active. You just look across the roster. There really isn't one to cut. Maybe you could work yourself into cutting offensive tackle Jermaine Ifedi, but I don't think the Bills want to mess with their offensive line room at all this season with how well that they've played and, uh, you know, just making sure that they are have all their bases covered by the time if they actually need to, to go to some of their depth here. So that's the sign to me that shows maybe Daquan Jones will be ready to go for this game. And just a logic point. I don't necessarily think that they would want to put him into a high snap role in the final game, which is just the the hugest one of the season, especially if the AFC East title is on the line. And the only way that happens is if the Dolphins lose to the Ravens this coming weekend. But if the Bills have yet to clinch a playoff spot or they have yet to um, or they, they don't have that 
or that AFC East is up for grabs in the final week of the season in such a pivotal game. I don't know that they want to go into that game being that being Daquan Jones first game back, especially if they want to utilize him in a pretty high snap role. I see this Patriots game as a potential opportunity for him to maybe knock some of the rust off, maybe play in a lower snap roll than what he did earlier in the season, just as a way to kind of slowly ramp him up. And that's not to say that, you know, it's a walk in the park and that's the reason that they're doing it against this Patriots team because the Patriots just beat the Broncos. It's kind of a weird game, but they won all the same. But it's just a a good opportunity to put him into like a a third or fourth defensive tackle role. And that way they have him getting some game time before the big game against Miami. And then, of course, before the playoffs arrive, assuming that they do, in fact, make it. So, yeah, the the Bills. My guess is that they'll activate him this week. That's just a guess at this point. Still don't know from haven't seen a practice this week just yet, but the logic would point that way. And, you know, just from that final active roster spot, it would make so much more sense to give it to Daquan Jones than Kair Elam, who likely wouldn't be active if they brought him onto the 53-man roster. This could mean that Elam's season is done. You know, maybe not the ideal scenario for them, but really didn't suffer any injuries. And I don't know that they necessarily want to mess with anything on the rest of their roster. So uh, my guess is maybe, (laughs) John, but uh, and leaning towards yes. But we'll we'll find out as we get closer into the week here. All right. Amit P writes in, I can see us as a number two seed. Am I mad? Not necessarily. You'll need some help from the Ravens, of course. But the Chiefs losing was certainly a big thing from that perspective. It's a pretty clean path to get there, honestly. I mean, the Chiefs lost to the Raiders, which clears them out of the way in a 11-6 and scenario. The Dolphins would be cleared out by losing to Baltimore and then, again, losing to Buffalo to end the season, which would make them 11-6. and six. The Bills would hold the, the head-to-head tiebreaker over both of those teams and then would conceivably move into that, that two spot. Now, of course, they need those things to go their way. Actually, one thing to go their way in addition to two wins. That's just the Miami loss to Baltimore. Miami beats Baltimore, then the whole thing is, is uh, toast from, from that perspective. And Uh, The Dolphins will have won the AFC East, and that means the Bills will have to go the majority of their playoff journey on the road. And the way that it's looking right now, if Miami does hold serve, beat Baltimore, or beat Buffalo, then it's looking like the strongest possibility of the Bills potentially heading to Kansas City in that 3-6 matchup, which, you know, things can change. The Chiefs can always lose a couple more times, and they're really not in jeopardy of losing the division here. Um, If they win just once more, it's theirs, because both the Raiders and and the Broncos are at 7-8. and And you would have to anticipate that 
maybe one or both of the Raiders or Broncos loses one of those games. So that is the only way for fluctuation here as to whether or not Kansas City will wind up being that three seed. But but yeah, that's that's the way it's leaning right now, though. Miami losing to Baltimore, Buffalo defeating the Patriots, defeating the Dolphins. That becomes a situation where the, the Bills amplify into the second seed, get a home playoff game. And as long as they win that first home playoff game, they get a second home playoff game. But lots of work need to be done, and there's going to be a lot of Ravens fans in uh, Western New York over the next seven days, that's for sure. Uh, John wrote in again, can the Bills make the playoffs if they win against the Pats and lose to the Finns? Yes, uh, it's looking promising for that. The Bills would need, obviously, well, the Bills would be at 10-7 and seven in that situation. Indy and Houston are both 8-7, and seven, which means one of those teams gets knocked out. And then that means that that clears out one of those guys. Then all effectively you would need is a Pittsburgh loss in one of the next two weeks and a Cincinnati loss in one of the next two weeks. And uh, then that basically assures it. Uh, So those are the two rooting interests. Seattle, they beat the Steelers. Cincinnati, they lose to the Chiefs this coming weekend and, and the Buffalo Bills beat the Patriots. That means the Bills are in the playoffs, no doubt. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, Don writes in, Joe, Merry Christmas. Merry Merry Christmas to you as well, Don. What do you make of the stinker, again, against the Chargers, and who surprised you the most in that game, good or bad? My initial takeaway from that game is that it reminded me a lot of the London game in in the sense that they just really could not get out of their own way early on. But I will give them credit because I think this is a little bit of how the Bills have evolved a bit this season. And and it's a promising sign because they're not always going to have their best. But that was a semi-dangerous Chargers team. I mean, we talk about it all the time in basically any sport. We talked about it after the Bills fired offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. When there is a high-profile firing of some sort within an organization there is usually a boost within the team's next game. It is wild that it usually happens this way. It's not it's not always. Like there are clear examples where the team just a team that fires someone of prominence comes in and has a dud the next week. But you see it all the time in like uh the Premier League, which I, I watch 
pretty intently. Um, you've seen it in the NFL this season. You've seen it with the NFL in previous seasons. There is a legitimate boost that happens after someone of prominence gets fired. And so that combined with the Chargers kind of switching up some of the things that they had done previously on defense was maybe caught them, caught the Bills by surprise a bit. Also, the offense seemed a little bit asleep. The the Josh some of Josh Allen's throws just were not on target. The run game wasn't as proficient early on as it was a week ago against the Cowboys. And that all led to what we saw. But where they have grown from that London game, which was very similar in the fact that the Bills had to travel a long way to play a game within a week. And you could kind of tell that they were a little bit thrown or at least a little bit slow out of the gates. And that was an issue. But how they were able to turn it around, even in bits and pieces in the first half, putting together some drives, getting some points on the board, those were that was something that they were not uh, not able to do in London against the Jaguars. Then again, when it seemed like the Chargers what was going to steal that game down the stretch, being able to come back and move the ball down the field, run the clock out, even though they almost, very closely, almost gave uh, the Chargers another chance to potentially win the game when Khalil Shakir was initially ruled to have scored a touchdown. They were able to run out the clock, get the game-winning field goal, get out of Los Angeles with, with a win. It was an escape. Sometimes these things happen, but, you know, an optimist would say it's a good sign that they were able to fight through and win a game like that. The pessimist might say, wow, they almost just lost to the Chargers that just fired their their head coach, their general manager, and had a player named Easton Stick <laughs> starting as their, as their quarterback in only his second start of his NFL career. Probably somewhere in the middle there, but by and large, I think we saw growth from the Bills based on what we saw earlier in the season. and. I'm anticipating them having a, a pretty solid response here uh, in week 17 up against a Patriots team that just came off a victory themselves. So especially with how the Patriots beat the Bills earlier in the season. So I think there's going to be a, a little bit more of an added emphasis, especially now that there's a playoff clinching scenario ahead of the Bills here. All right. Uh, next question comes from Bradley, who writes in, what are, what are they going to do with Leonard Fournette at this point? I think much of it will depend on Ty Johnson's shoulder because that did look like a really painful injury when it happened. He was in a non-contact jersey the entire week of practice last week. We'll have to see it again this week. Maybe it's a situation where they they give Johnson another week off to rest his shoulder and they pull the, the uh, practice squad elevation card again. They can do that with Fournette for the rest of the season before it comes down to a uh, a decision-making point. Now, whether or not they would want to elevate Leonard Fournette in a full-time manner to the 53-man roster, 
that would be a legitimate conversation because that probably means you need an IR spot or one of Ty Johnson or Latavius Murray has to go. And I know a lot of you will will scream, okay, have it be Latavius Murray. Why not? Well, they love him in the locker room for one, and I don't know that they want to mess with that. The other piece is that they trust him in pass protection more than anyone. And despite his snaps going down by a large degree in this game, he was down to seven, which was only a little under 13% of the snaps on offense this week. Those seven snaps came a lot of times on third downs, obvious passing situations where they needed to give Josh Allen a little bit more of a trustworthy pass protection boost than what they would have gotten from either James Cook or Leonard Fournette, who is still relatively new to the system compared to those other two guys. So my guess is, see what's going on with Ty Johnson's shoulder this week as to what happens with Leonard Fournette. If he can't go, give him another game, just another piece of evidence as to the ultimate decision that they'll have to make. And then... Figure it out from there. So to be determined on that one, Bradley, uh, they, I think he does give them a little bit more than Latavius Murray from a rushing perspective. I think Ty Johnson has been really impressive. So I don't know that they want to make him be the spot that opens it up for Leonard Fournette. So I think we'll learn a lot more this coming week, whether or not Ty Johnson can play and whether or not, um, if he can't, Leonard Fournette looks as good in a second showing. All right, next question. Uh, Ernesto writes in, the Bills escaped from Los Angeles, but that kind of performance will not be sufficient to beat. Not say the, the Dolphins, but the Patriots. What are your thoughts on the inconsistency of this team? And he also said greetings from Mexico City, which is awesome. Thanks for uh, listening, Ernesto. That's that's uh, really cool. The inconsistency of the Bills has, it's been kind of status quo for a lot of the, the teams in the AFC this year. I mean, it's just been a weird year in in this conference more than anything. Like even the, the great teams, quote unquote, have had some stinkers for games. Like Baltimore looked great against San Francisco last night, but they have also been pushed at times this year in in games that you probably wouldn't expect from them. Same thing kind of like Ravens lost to the Colts early in the season. Uh, They lost to the Browns 33-31, and this was uh, in week 10. So the, the Browns were still going through some of their quarterback stuff. They've been pushed by other teams too, so... It's not as though it's just been great for these other teams. The Chiefs have obviously struggled, and we have seen that. They are on quite a a losing stretch here. Not a not in terms of losing a ton of games in a row, but pretty close to it. I mean, we've seen. Let's see, what have they lost? Like three of their last four, I want to say. Let me just make double check on that. The Chiefs have lost. Three of their last four and four of their last six and five of their last eight. So they lost to the Broncos, beat the Dolphins, 
Lost to the Eagles, beat the Raiders. Lost to the Packers, lost to the Bills, beat the Patriots, lost to the Raiders. And the Patriots game was somewhat tight too. So it's just been a weird year in the AFC. And like the Dolphins are 11-4 and right now, but their strength of victory, even after a win over the Cowboys, is still one of the worst in the league. Their strength of victory has a winning percentage of 364. That is the lowest in the AFC of any team. And the third lowest behind only the Saints, who have a strength of victory percentage of 305, and the New York Giants, who have a strength of victory percentage of 293. Oh, I lied. There's another one in there. Uh, Washington, who has a strength of victory percentage of 350. So Miami has the fourth worst strength of victory in the NFL. So that's another thing. Like, they're consistent against bad teams, but... Against good teams, they've got the, the the Cowboys win, and that's about it. I think it's just running rampant in the AFC, which is why this whole thing is kind of wide open in my mind. And the Bills have played much better as of late. That Chargers game, yeah, it, w- it did not go well, and the inconsistency was certainly there. But this is now three straight wins, almost four, after pushing the Eagles in that overtime showdown, and... They have looked like a different team in being able to have answers sometimes, like definitely when they're at their best and specifically when they aren't like this past weekend against the Chargers. So I'm not necessarily looking at this as going, okay, it's the same team as before in in the early stages of the season. They lose the Patriots and and sure, that's, that's, that's an inexcusable loss and everything like that, especially at home, regular season, home finale. One o'clock game. Who doesn't love a one o'clock kickoff, right? But I tend to think that it just kind of falls in line with some of the parody in the AFC specifically this year, and which is why, to me, regardless of where the Bills have to play in the postseason, as long as they make it, I think they have a legit shot to go on a run because they have talent and they've got a lot of things working for them. They seem to be getting healthier a little bit here. Things are looking in their favor. So I don't think the Bills are alone in the inconsistency perspective, Ernesto. All right. Uh, Amit writes in again, how do we solve a problem like Von Miller? I, I don't know that I have the answer for you because I think they continue to hold out hope that eventually it's going to happen for him. But to me, there just have been so few signs for that to think that it's a legitimate possibility. Week in and week out, when I go through and and do the all 22 film study and grade out these players, he's consistently one of my lowest graded players. And you can see that reflected on on the season-long grades. On on the last one from the Cowboys, it it was the first time his snap count Uh, actually qualified for the season-long grades. I think he was like fourth or fifth lowest from the bottom. It's not good. How much he's getting paid is certainly certainly adding to it. On top of all of the -the off-the-field stuff from from, uh, the bye week, where he was accused of 
domestic violence. So it's a complex situation, by all means. They're holding out hope that he becomes the player that they signed him originally to be. It's now been over a year since both the injury and now the surgery. We have heard the Bills say a lot over the the uh, past month or so that they continue to see more signs of him looking more like himself. But it just when I watch him, I see a guy that's getting washed out of the play far too easily. Almost to the point of a liability. And I, I found it somewhat comical that the only time you could really notice him on the broadcast was when they dropped him into coverage and he was able to get over and help make a tackle on, a, I think it was on a third down. But that's to me, it's just kind of like the fall from from uh, his higher standing from what he was last year. And I don't know that it's a situation where they want to sit him either. Because they want to see if the light comes back on for him. Because if it does, then that's a potential good, well, great player to have as a rotational pass rusher. But I think the expectations of him have to come down. He's probably not going to be a starter at any point this season, unless injuries happen. He's probably, as long as AJ Epinesa comes back from from health, he's probably going to be their fourth or fifth best defensive end for the rest of the season. Greg Rousseau is... Clear as day, they're they're number one based on how they used him. He played over 70% of the snaps this past game. Leonard Floyd is their clear best pass rusher. Even in a smaller snap role than what Rousseau gets. Epinesa is their three. Then you can make an argument whether or not Shaq Lawson or Von Miller is your number four. And that's a bad place to be considering how much they signed him for. And that Shaq Lawson is on a veteran minimum contract. But they just have to kind of reset their expectations. And they gave him a few more snaps this past game. They gave him 32, which I believe was the third highest of defensive ends this past week. Actually, the second highest. He outsnapped Leonard Floyd and Shaq Lawson. Got 46% of the snaps. Didn't do much with them. But I am also waiting for the all 22 for this game to come out, which it hasn't yet. I think the holidays have rightfully delayed things um, for before them getting the uh, the access to the film out to this point. But I do want to see what the film shows from Von Miller's perspective. But in every game before the Chargers game, I've seen maybe like one or two hints of the guy that he was last year before the injury. And that's a lot of snaps to not see to only see that a couple of times. Let's see, what's he up to this year? I believe he's around like 240 for the season, if I'm not mistaken. Please hold. I have it right in front of me. He is at 243 out of a possible 754 snaps this season. He's played on uh, a grand total percentage of games where he has been active of 32.2% of plays this year for the Bills. They need more from him. That's the easiest way of saying it, but I think they might also need to 
dial back expectations for what he can be this year and realize that it might not happen this year. And quite frankly, it might not happen ever again. He's an older player. We'll see how he responds the rest of the way here, but that's got to be one of their most pressing uh, decision points of the upcoming offseason, no doubt. Okay. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Phil writes in, what is interim offensive coordinator Joe Brady's contract status? Is it a given that he'll be back next season or does he have other options available to him? I think based on what we've seen so far and the fact that they effectively made a a hire to the offensive staff of someone that he worked with at LSU and knows, has known for a while, that it's a good sign that they are thinking long-term about their future with Joe Brady. I have seen some tweets sent to me or, or something along those lines of people wondering whether or not Joe Brady might get some head coaching buzz. I think it's too premature for any of that. He is still, I think, somewhat tarnished by what happened in Carolina a few years ago when Matt Rule was the head coach. And I think that would, unless they go on a real run here and win the Super Bowl and the offense looks just outstanding, It'd be kind of a a ridiculous arc for someone to go from quarterbacks coach to interim OC to head coach of a team the next season. It's not something you often see. I think most teams would want to see kind of a a built-up history rather than just a, hey, this guy did this for 10 games in 2023 or however many it ends up being. But I do think that the signs are pointing towards the Bills and maybe Brady thinking that this is going to be longer than just a one-year deal. So contract status, don't know off the top of my head. I don't know the specifics of his deal and whether or not he's got other options with other teams. Potentially they do. They'll probably have to to rip up his old contract and give him a new contract. But I would expect that both he and the Bills would want to continue this partnership because of how well it has gone since they have fired Ken Dorsey and how well the the room has kind of responded 
since this whole thing happened. You know, you have to give the Bills credit for making the move. Perhaps it was a little bit late. Perhaps they should have done it after the New England game. But they did it before the season truly got away from them. And now they're sitting here on the precipice of yet another playoff appearance after it looked very bleak just a few weeks ago. Okay, Rick writes in, where has Dalton Kincaid suddenly disappeared to? That's a good question, and I think it's a little layered here. He has been dealing with some injuries, which I think has impacted how much they have been willing to use him on the field. Dawson Knox has also returned from injury, so that combined with Dalton Kincaid's injury has opened up a few more opportunities for Knox to be on the field. Like we saw that a couple games ago against the Cowboys. Uh, Knox led the way by quite a bit, I believe. He had, well, not by quite a bit, 42. Dawson Knox had 42 out of the 68 snaps against the Cowboys. Dalton Kincaid had 33 out of 68. There was some 12 personnel mixed in there. Um, They went a lot of tight end heavy stuff. Quentin Morris even mixed in for 18 snaps in that game. But that kind of went away against the Chargers. What I found really interesting about the Chargers game is that they barely used 12 personnel with Knox and Kincaid on the field. To my count, when I was tracking the snaps live, it was two snaps total, I believe. And Knox had below 50% of snaps, 26 out of 55. Kincaid also had below uh, 50% of snaps, 23 out of 55. So it's it's kind of a, a combination of things here. Kincaid has not looked as sure on the ball as he has previously, and he he has been dealing with thumb and shoulder injuries, and I wonder how that is impacting his ability to catch passes. But it's very clear that even after, you know, once Knox came back, Kincaid was still the lead tight end against the Chiefs, getting 60 out of 77 snaps. But these past couple of games, he has been below snaps against Knox. And they've been kind of going away from Kincaid a little bit. So I think the injury plays into it. Knox plays into it. But that's something that they'll want to get rectified because Kincaid remains one of their best three offensive pieces, in my view. To me, it goes Stefan Diggs. And then you can make the argument for either James Cook or Dalton Kincaid. Right now, you would say James Cook in a heartbeat. But there was also times this year where Kincaid bailed them out. A lot, especially when they couldn't get going early on in games. And, you know, James Cook was still kind of not a full or maybe a 50%, maybe less than 50% snap count guy. So one of those two. And then Gabe Davis would be four. And then you can figure out from there who's five. Khalil Shakir, Dawson Knox, Trent Sherfield, who they've used a lot more. Ty Johnson. Like, those are... Those are the candidates for their fifth best offensive player. But to me, they'll want to get Kincaid going here in the next couple of weeks. Maybe they probably won't do it because he's played the last two weeks, but maybe it's a situation where you just have Kincaid give it a week to, especially because they're playing the Patriots this week and Knox is fully healthy. Give him a week off to where he can be, have that little bit more rest and maybe be 
a little bit more, I guess, uh, impactful once they play the Dolphins and then into the postseason, everything along those lines. But they'll look at it, they'll likely look at it and go, okay, they aren't in the playoffs just yet. This Patriots game is a major opportunity to do so. They'll want to have all their their top guys. So I, I would tend to think that they they wouldn't do that. But the disappearing thing, layered for sure. All right, time for a couple more here on uh, this live room episode. Okay, let's see. I'm trying to see the, uh, let's see. Mike, I see your question about uh, what caused the lack of Cook's involvement in the passing game against L.A., uh, that's one of those things that I would like to see the film before I answer because, you know, I, I don't want to be talking from my behind here about, about what in, in fact that they did in that game, because I would rather see the, the whole of what they did. So I'm not avoiding your question. I just, uh, no, I don't know just yet. And I, I am excited to see once, uh, once I actually see the film. Jack writes, what happened to the Isaiah McKenzie role? Jack says, I feel like Hardy could be doing more dynamic things in the offense. I think because the Bills have utilized it so often over the past four or five seasons here, that it's become pretty predictable. Maybe it's something that they go back to later in the season, but I feel like any time that they have tried the jet sweep, it really has not been all that fruitful for them. To them, Hardy is nothing more than a occasional take the top off the defense sort of bit player and one of their return specialists. And that's how it's kind of evolved for him this season. I don't know that he'll be back in 2024 based on his contract with such a small role and how it's kind of developed that way. Like he has, he had four snaps this past week two the week before, three the week before that. He was a healthy scratch the week before that. 14 the week before that, four the week before that, three the week before that, six the week before that. So since week eight, they have basically phased him out of the offense uh, rather than a, a snap here or a snap there. So that plus the predictability of what they used to do with the jet sweep stuff, I think they've they found a nice little home with a bunch of these wide receivers wide receiver screens that they have utilized for a lot of the time this season. And that has helped get some of their guys loose. It hasn't always gone for good yardage, but they have been relatively effective with it. They're not a running back screen team. They have not been that way for years now. And anytime they successfully run a running back screen, you're like, whoa, where the heck did that come from? So I don't know that it's going to come back. Maybe they mix it in here or there just to catch a team off guard. But when teams saw McKenzie get into the game, or last year it was Naheem Hines that they used kind of in that role as the season went on. And then Deontay Hardy, their alert clearly goes up because it's a it's been a Bill's tendency for years as to expect the jet, the jet sweep. So I'm not necessarily ruling it out, but it's just something that it seems like they have phased out a bit here as, as the uh, trying to get rid of what doesn't work and, and keep going with what works. And that didn't work for them over the last two years, really. Okay. 
final question comes from. Okay, want to make it a good one. See another question about Diggs against the Chargers. Again, that's another one I want to wait for the film here. Um, Brandon writes, do we feel more confident in the Bills' ability to beat the Dolphins instead of the Patriots because the Bills keep playing down to their opponents? It's an interesting way to phrase it. The inconsistency, this goes back to that inconsistency question that uh, that we talked about earlier in the in the episode. The I guess the uh what I'll point to here is the Bills know that they kind of got away with one in the LA game. And I think their response and how they won that game was a lot different than maybe some of these other games that they kind of snuck by with. Like they came back and they won the game uh, against the Chargers. They marched it down the field at the end of the game. They closed it out. Did they leave it open for interpretation? Yes. Were there turnovers that uh, just were not conducive to success? That also was a thing. But I find this different than the Giants game early on in the season. Even though that was a game that they won, they didn't deserve to win that game. They should have lost that game. They snuck away with it. This Giants game did not feel like the same as the Chargers. It, I, there was more to what the Bills were doing on both sides of the ball than that. And I, I do think there was a bit of that boost that coach firing boost that we're talking about and the traveling out West part, part of it, the new England game back in October, that was a horrific loss. And a lot of things have changed from that point. One of which being they fired Ken Dorsey, Joe Brady's now the OC. We've seen a, a big response since then. They have won four of their last five. Their only loss was an overtime loss by three points. I don't think that Jets game was one that they played down to. The Broncos game certainly was, but that was also the final one of, of the Ken Dorsey era. So I think that Chargers game was really the first time that we've seen the, the plays down to or plays up to situation. They also came out and completely blew out the Cowboys. So that was another promising sign of what, what they could do. I think this can be treated based off what we have seen out of their last five games with Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator. I feel like this can be somewhat of a one-off. Now, if they come out and, and do it again against the Patriots and allow the Patriots to almost win, if not win the game, then then yeah, I think we can drift back into that territory. But this has been a, a notably different team based on, uh, I hate to use this term, but vibe. <laughs> um, it's just a different energy within the building, and it has been since they came out and beat the Jets after Dorsey's firing. There's just a different sort of sense of self to this team. So that's why I think this Patriots game should be one that they um, should do pretty well with. It being the regular season finale will be another piece of this. They'll be particularly jazzed up about that. The chance to clinch a playoff spot 
is another piece. So the answer to your question here is no. I don't uh I don't think that you should feel more confident in their ability to beat the Dolphins than the Patriots because the Patriots despite their win against the Broncos, I think are going to be a much easier out specifically with what they have lined up at quarterback and those offensive pieces that the Bills will be up against than what the um what the Dolphins will bring to play in a couple of weeks here. All right. That's uh that's going to do it for me. Thank you everyone for jumping in on this I guess post game episode of uh the Buffalo Beat. We did a live room episode because, you know, holiday season. Figured there were a bunch of questions playoff season. Wanted to get to them as many as we could. So the Bills will take on the Patriots this coming weekend at home. One o'clock start. I'm excited. Love that. Love that for all of us. And we'll see if the Bills can win, get some help, maybe in the postseason, and then see if they can get some help from the Ravens, see if that Week 18 game will be for the AFC East crown and potentially the two seed in the AFC playoffs. Lot to uh, be decided here over the last couple of weeks. All right, so my name is Joe Biscali. Thanks, everyone, for joining, and we will talk to you a little bit later in the week. See you then.